I want to begin with a confession. I am somebody who likes sad music. I always have. I don't know why. Ever since I heard the song Lemon Tree by Peter, Paul, and Mary, I've loved minor notes and melodies that are dour. I like being sad. It's really odd. Have you ever heard Lemon Tree? Anybody ever heard Lemon Tree? Raise your hand. If so, you know what I'm talking about. Lemon tree, very pretty. and the le- It's sad. It's a good sadness. But then when I discovered, I go into my sister's bedroom, and she would have all these older albums like Bread and... Uh, she'd have Mamas and the Papas, but she also had Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits. That is the saddest album I've ever listened to, and I loved it. It has a book called The Boxer. Did you ever hear the book? I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. Or uh, The Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. That's a good one. That will cheer you up. And then they have one called I Am A Rock. I Am A Rock. I would take these songs, put, put the player on the record player, Put the needle down, open up the back window, and watch the train track just go by. And I loved it when it would be rainy and the water would hit the window pane or the gray flannel clouds would pass by. And I like being sad. It's odd. I think sometimes sadness is a very good thing. It makes you think, wonder, and consider the deeper questions of life. But sometimes sadness is incredibly dangerous. I have seen people caught in cycles of sadness where brings them even down to depression and despair. Like this song. Look, look at I Am A Rock. Look at these verses. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I'm an island and that's Paul Simon's song. And I think actually he was writing it just the opposite. He's really stating that I'm... I need friendship. He goes on to say, I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. It ends by saying, and a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. And then I cry at the end of it because that's the intent. It says, a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. This is taking sadness too far, way too far because the opposite is true. More tears have been shed from isolation and loneliness than any other condition. Loneliness is actually a result of sin. Sin separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. And it isolates us. That's Satan's whole point. If he can isolate, he divides and conquers. And he loves it to get you in states of sadness, depression, and despair. That's how he wins. So in a sense, the opposite of this song is true. I am not a rock. I am not an island. In fact, look at Proverbs 18.1. It's foolish to be alone. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, seeks his own way, or literally the idea is he walks in his own ignorance. Whoever isolates himself walks in his own ignorance. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So he's saying if you are a loner and you think it's who you're always going to be, it says, you're a fool. You're a fool. We were not meant to live as rocks. There have been tons of studies done on this. One of the first studies in the late 1800s, some French sociologists found this boy named Victor. He's living in the wild. They called him the wild child. 
He's living in the forest for a couple of years on his own in France. And so these people took him in. It says, despite all efforts to take him in, he remained mute. He wouldn't talk and he wouldn't obey anybody. He was uncontrollable because he lived out in the wild for so long. And then you have this other French sociologist, René Spitz. He conducted this study in the 1940s. He took babies that were raised in an orphanage that were rarely touched. They had one nurse between seven babies, and the nurse wouldn't really ever spend time. And then took the, a, a group of babies that were raised in a prison, but they were able to see their mom once in a while, and the prison staff took care of them. It said at the age of four months, both the babies were about the same. But after they turned one year old, the motor and intellectual performances in the orphanage, they were less curious, they were less playful, and they were more subject to infection. But the babies that were in the prison who still got to see their mom and were touched by the prison workers, they were normal. They talked confidently and they showed development comparable to that of children raised in normal homes. But, in, but the 26 children after the age of three, only two could walk out of 26. And very few talked. Then in the 1960s, there's kind of a really cruel experiment by this guy named Harry Harlow, he took these monkeys and he didn't let them stay with their mother for a whole year right after they were born. Kept them in complete isolation and put them with the group of monkeys. So at the end of the isolation period, when they were put back, those monkeys would huddle in the corners of their cages and rock back and forth the way some autistic children do. They did not even interact with the other monkeys or play. So the point is, and it's clear, Human beings and animals have been designed by God to need social interaction. We need it. We need personal attention. We need touch. We need conversation. We need guidance, teaching, training, correction. And most of all, we need love. We've been designed that way. Proverbs teaches this all through. All through the book of Proverbs. There's a lot to say about this. So here's how we're going to do this sermon. Here's a young child. Let's take a young child. And this child maybe is one, two, three. A young child. Our job this morning is to try to figure out how to give her the best chance to survive, grow, and mature properly. That's our job this morning. Proverbs teaches this child needs two things. Two things, and we're going to talk about the two things. This child needs a greenhouse. A greenhouse is a place where you are protected, but you can be, you can nurtured, you can be taken care of, loved. Proverbs 4.3 says, when a child is young, they are tender. And the idea of tender is that they need protection. They need guidance. And if they're left alone, they'll be eaten alive. So this, this child needs a greenhouse, a place where it's safe to grow up. Second thing this child needs is a gas station. A gas station. Proverbs 18.24 talks about there's a gift out there where a, you, you need somebody who sticks closer than a brother. And the idea of sticking closer is that we have been designed for companionship. Even God in the book of Genesis said it is not good for man to be alone. It is not. We need to have somebody we can be intimate with, close to, talk to. 
So those are the two things she needs. So let's talk about them. The first one, we're going to talk about a greenhouse. We're going to talk about it in very general ways, and then we're going to get specific. Open up to Proverbs 23, verse 22. It's very clear what the greenhouse is. I'm going to read it. I'm going to see if you can figure it out. It's very clear. Listen to your father who gives you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. That's the greenhouse. God has designed this to be the proper care for a human child. But it's, it's very obvious. It's very obvious. A child needs a mom and a dad. But it's not that obvious anymore. We live in a very confused world. Obvious things are no longer obvious because we don't want to make anybody feel bad when they've made mistakes, made bad choices. They've chosen selfish lifestyle choices so they can be all they're supposed to be at the expense of everybody else. So we're no longer allowed to point out obvious truths. We have to accept everything, no matter how strange, backwards, or bizarre. We not, need now to celebrate the power of the single mom. Whoa! The glory of having two moms or two dads or two moms and one dad or two moms and 17 dads. Celebrate it! Everything is celebrated except for one thing. The nuclear family. A dad, a mom, and children. I think the reason for this is pretty obvious. People don't like to do what God says. They want to be on their own, make up their own rules. But also because Satan knows this is God's design to, to keep a child in the proper nourishing environment. The nuclear family is God's design. It's God's design. It started out that way at the beginning of time. A man will leave his father and mother will be united to his wife, and the two will become one. There are so many studies. I mean, you can, you can read them all day. So many studies on why the nuclear family is sociologically the best structure. It's obvious. I'm not going to go into it. I could show you statistic after statistic why a child needs both a mom and a dad. But I'm a pastor. I'm not a sociologist. And my job is just to simply state what God says. Here's what he said. A child needs one mom, one dad who are in love. I can hear people say, but, but what if, what if, what if, you know, all these bad things happen? What if? And the problem is we are now determining truth by what if instead of what is the design. Just, let's just talk about that. We get off on the what-ifs, which are killing us. Verse 23, 22, 23, 22 says something very interesting. It says, listen to your father. Why? And it gives the reason. <laughs> listen to this reason. We ignore this reason. Your father gave you life. There's, it's more than ownership. It's more than... It's more than teaching that's involved in the nuclear family. It's image sharing and spreading. When you look into the eyes of your child, you see yourself. 
Actually, God made us in his image, and then we pass on his image to our kids, but we also pass our own image on to our children. And every parent knows this. When your child is instantly born and you bring your kid home from the hospital, there's a bond instantly. It's from God. You become jealous for them. You become protective, proud. You become scared, nervous, worried, excited, inspired, serious. You become joyful. You have been given the task to Keep the image of God and your family growing in somebody new. And it's an incredible gift. The world is saying that image sharing doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. If you were to go on any socially progressive website, the number one goal is to destroy God's design and to confuse everything and deny what has been obvious since the world began. I went on Black Lives Matter site. Black Lives Matter is basically a site that they are based... They are making it sound like it's just for the promotion of black culture, which is a good thing, but that's not what they are. They are a progressively left political machine, which is trying to sell a new way to look at the world. Look at, listen to one of their stated goals. This is one of their stated goals. I'm not slandering them. I got it right from their paper. Here's their goal. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and, quote, villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. You notice how fathers are left out of any of their lingo? We foster queer-affirming networks. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. So what they don't like is that idea of having a man who's attracted to a woman to have children. That's heteronormative. It's called nuclear family. They don't like it. Do you want to know the truth? The village will never care about a child like a mom will or a dad will that carry its image. Never. I've been posting a lot on this the Catholic priest fiasco. It drives me crazy because I was in that. The reason why it drives me crazy is because a priest will not care about your child like you will. And people sometimes hand over the priest that really doesn't care like you do. It's your child. The nuclear family has been set up to have a holistic effect in child rearing. That's why God's designed it. Everything a child needs is found in a loving family. We'll go into that in a little, little more in a second. Also, the family is designed for legacy building. This is amazing how God designed it. Legacy passes on three things. Legacy building passes on truth. True truth. It passes on wealth. And it passes on faith. Truth, wealth, and faith. You can be a blessing to your children by obeying the Lord today, both spiritually and physically and financially. Genesis says God will send blessing to the generation of the upright in heart. It says it a number of times. Proverbs 17.6, this is a great verse. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father. So there's a linkage, a connection between the generations that God wants. He wants the grand, 
father to love his grandkids and say, look at them. And he wants his grandkids to say, that's my dad. That's my grandpa. There's a linkage in legacy. Legacy is God's continuing gift. And most of all, and this is the beauty of the family, it's designed for joy. Designed for joy. All through Proverbs, God tells the child, if you obey, you'll bring joy to your father and to your mother. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father. 23.15, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. 23.25, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you, it's the same idea where the father bore the children, gave, gave life, so did the mother. They both gave life to that child. They both were included in the life of that child. And if you obey, you'll bring joy to both of them. You could ask this, I, I'll ask all the kids, why do parents want you to obey? They hate me. They hate me. No. They want to control me. No, they want joy. They want your joy and their joy. They gave you life, and because they gave you life, they want your good. They do not have sinister hidden motives to hurt you. You know who has sinister hidden motives to hurt your child? The socialist village. Because they really don't care about your image. These are general blessings. Let's get into the specifics. I, like these are sermons I could give a sermon on each specific I'm giving. But we're going to go pretty quick. How specifically does this work? Does the greenhouse work? I want to say that Proverbs promotes a disciplined delight model of raising your children. And guess where it comes from? The verse we discussed last week, Proverbs 22.6. Look at Proverbs 22.6. This is the verse that I used last week to say this kills a lot of people, but it's also power. It works powerfully in both ways. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child. In the way he should go, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So remember, number one, Proverbs are guidelines and tendencies, not promises. It's not a promise, it's a guideline. It's meant to help you steer in life, navigate. Make good decisions. And so the steering includes training them up. I'm going to use the word discipline for train up. That means they have to be instructed corrected and led in the right way. It's called discipline. And then it says, and, and they won't depart. And the idea is their heart wants it. So there's delight. They like the discipline. They like the way they're going. We think we can just beat into them the right way. No, if you beat somebody to do something, they will always want to do the opposite. Delight is what causes them to want what you're doing. One commentator writes, the Hebrew word hanak, which means to train, implies both dedicating a child to God and instructing him according to who the child is. That means knowing him, delighting in him. There's a book that came out that is written, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You know them. So you correct them the way that you know will work. And the proper instruction to lead them in the right ways. So to show you how this is done, I'm going to present four quadrants are possible ways to use people approach discipline and delight. So the first way some people approach it is just discipline. I'm just going to be a disciplinarian. That's it. What kind of child will you raise if you just administer discipline without delight? 
you will get an angry child. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. And I'm going to read these. You can write them down. We're not going to turn to everyone because there's going to be a lot. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 does talk about the importance of the rod. The rod for us is spanking or a switch. Some parents use a belt. But 1518 warns about the danger of anger, how hot temper produces more hot temper. So the idea is that many a mother and father discipline out of anger and do not delight in the child. And they'll say it like this, we need to break their will. We need to break their will. No, you don't. Stop using that phrase. You as a parent are to channel their will, not crush it. If you crush it, they become nothing in the world. They're always scared. They have no confidence. And they're broken. You are to steer your child. Steer their will in the right direction. Anger is usually used for two reasons. To cause fear or to hurt. To just let go of anger. To hurt. I'm going to cause, I'm going to let, they need to know who's the boss. Why? Be careful disciplining out of anger because it often only transfers your anger to the child. Do you have angry children? Second thing is just delight. What kind of child will you raise if you just administer delight without discipline? A spoiled child. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Many a parent see only an angel when they look into the eyes of their newborn child. My child is sent directly from heaven. No stains. They never think they do anything bad. They were born perfect. They're, it's funny when you do marital counseling, there's a new syndrome called the princess syndrome. Where, you know, you raise girls who never do anything wrong. You let them watch Frozen 775 times straight. And they never ask anything out of them. Then when they get married, they, you mean, I've got, I've got to work in this marriage? Yes, well, no, my husband needs to watch more Frozen with me. And, and go to Disney World. No, it's... You believe your child is the first person in history to be born without a sin nature. God performed a miracle when he made that one. No, no. Or some parents simply want their child to like him. I just want to be their friend all the time so they don't discipline him. But listen to 22.15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it from him. So there's a newsflash. Your children are not born perfect. They will disappoint you. They will rebel. They need correction. What if you administer a balance of discipline and delight? What kind of child will you raise if you administer both delight and discipline? An enjoyable child. They will be a joy to you and you will be a joy to them. Proverbs 23, 24 says, He who has a wise son delights in him. That baby that's crying in here is not an angel. Remember, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Julie, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but Proverbs 23, 24, he who has a wise son, a wise son means a son who does what 
dad says and follows correction, he who has a wise son delights in him. A foolish son, foolish man despises his mother. If a parent loves his child, which I'm going to use the phrase, likes who they are, likes who they are, honestly likes who they are. Does your kid know you like who they are? Did you ever say that to him? Like you can say, I love you, Johnny, but man, you're a creep. Oh, thanks, Dad. Do you like them? Like really like them? If a parent loves his child and likes who they are and dreams big dreams and real dreams, and what will happen if proper discipline will come? Discipline isn't the groundwork. It's delight. It's love. And that discipline is not to hurt or embarrass or even to crush, but to guide and to lead in wisdom. And I'm gonna, I'll just give three hints of what I think good discipline has. Fair, it's got to be fair. That means the punishment must match the crime. So if your kid comes in and he's just being a kid and he elbows a glass of milk and it falls on the ground, don't ground him for a month because you're having a bad day. That's not fair. That's where Ephesians says, don't frustrate your child. Be fair about your punishment. Second thing, be clear. Tell the child what you expect from them. Don't make the child always walk on eggshells. Ooh, I don't know if dad's in a good mood today. Ooh, I don't know if I should do that or not. Man, that's cruel. And be consistent. Consistency is a level-headed heart. It means you're your level, and each child in the home will be treated the same way. Johnny doesn't get punished and Susie gets off even though they did the same thing. That happens all the time. How do you, Johnny's going to get angry. I have found good discipline is like an autopilot on an airplane. If a pilot is going to go travel a long distance, he'll put his plane on autopilot, and it will always make these small corrections to keep the plane going the right way. Let's say the airplane, the, air, uh, the pilot turns off the autopilot and the, the plane starts veering in the wrong direction. The, auto, the pilot will come up, oh, it's going the wrong way, and I'll have to go you know, crank it and have to get it back on course. But when he cranks it, everybody feels it. Some parents are like calm, like the autopilot, where they're consistent, they're fair, they're always kind of training. Then you got some parents who let the kids go for a while to be idiots for a while, and then all of a sudden they just get frustrated and mad, and they're like, stop it! And everything's a confrontation. Everything's a confrontation. It doesn't have to be. I believe if you are consistent, your child will grow a pleasant spirit. But many parents are lazy. They're quickly irritated. And when your child has been veering the wrong way for a long time, you have to make major adjustments which bring major confrontation. It's my, it's my belief if you need to always spank or use the belt, even. It's a sign you have not been parenting well. Fourth uh, quadrant. What happens to a child if they have no discipline and no delight? You have a rebel on your hands. And this is the child or the teen where folly has lodged in their heart. They don't feel loved and they don't care about anybody else. Proverbs 20, 20 says, this is the person that curses their mother and father. 
And then I, I want to show you a verse. To me, it's the scariest book in Proverbs. This is a great Halloween verse. Proverbs 30, 17. I, am, I, uh, I would advise you to have your kid learn this verse as a memory verse on Halloween. It's a perfect verse for Halloween. For your kid. It's Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. It's a great verse. I love that verse. It's a Halloween verse for your kid to memorize. I have one more thing to say about parenting. I'll make it real quick. You can look this up later. Proverbs 27 and 23, 26 say that you know where kids really learn the most from watching you. They will walk in the steps that you have walked. That's why you live in a greenhouse, so it's close contact. And kids learn to be like you. It says in three areas. This is why, like lately, I've looked in the mirror and I go, man, I remind myself of my dad. <laughs> I do things just like it's kind of scary. Because it's designed that way. It's image sharing. Three areas. Number one in habits. Habits. These are either hobbies or habits that you do. 2319. Are you lazy? You're going to have lazy kids. Are you a hard worker? Are you a sportsaholic? It's all you talk about. If you are, your kid will be twice the sportsaholic you are. Are you a hunter? And that's all you want to talk about is hunting. And you wonder why your kid doesn't want to do anything but go in the woods, never wants to study or talk about the Bible or have friendships. I wonder if they learned it from you. Are you a good cook? I bet your kids will be good cooks if you teach them. How about a shopper? Are you a shopper? Do your kids like to shop a lot? Man, all my kids, all they just want to spend money. How do you do shopping? Well, yeah, the biggest holiday is, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, where we've done it for years, you know. We get up at 3 in the morning. We have all the sisters go. Why do you think your kid likes to shop? They catch it. They learn your pleasures, <laughs> especially with, are you a drunk and a drinker? You wonder why your kid gets in trouble? Are, they, are you a glutton? Talks about watch out for drunkenness and gluttony. Your kid learns to eat like you. Why are eight and nine-year-olds getting heavier and heavier? Because mom and dad put more breading on the pork chops than ever before. And then um, I want you to turn to this one. They also learn your attitude. Uh, Proverbs 15 is very interesting because this is usually preached individually, but I believe this is preached, should be preached in the atmosphere of the home. You train attitude in your home. I'll just read through it. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. You know, so your kids are always walking around, they're upset. Dad, how, how is your face when you get home from work? You always upset, cranky? Why do you think your kids are always complaining? Verse uh, 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I think we train attitude. My dad would train me all the time. My dad liked to do this, and he didn't like it when I was grumpy. He didn't like when I was grumpy going to work. He goes, Chris, and you might have heard me say this. He'd often say, Chris, get in the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, I'm happy, I'm healthy, and I feel terrific. And say it loud like you believe it. Dad, I don't want to do that. Well, quit being a grump. 
And if I wouldn't be, quit being a grump, you would say, all right, you go in the bathroom, you want to look in the mirror and say this three times as loud as you can. Say, boy, am I enthusiastic. And try to say it without, not, you'll have to smile. So I go in and I go, it's like six in the morning before I go to work. Boy, am I enthusiastic. I didn't hear you. Louder. Boy, am I enthusiastic. Say it one more time. Boy, am I enthusiastic. And you can't help but be happy. Try it. Derek, try that at home. That'd be great. <laughs> I, I, one of the funniest things, I had this guy, I'd go to work. This guy's name was Jimmy. And Jimmy was, he was great. And he knew I was a Christian, he was a Christian. Every time I'd walk in there, I'd be slugging in the work. I worked downtown Cleveland, I hated it. I'd walk into work, and Jimmy would always be right there in the front, and he'd go, Mr. Weeks, every day's a holiday when I see you. It's like the 4th of July when I see your face. I'm like, oh, Jimmy. He goes, man, when I shake your hand, it's like Christmas Eve. Oh, man, I felt good after seeing Jimmy. Try saying that to your kids in the morning. Oh, hey, Johnny, every day's a holiday when I see you. They'll say, Dad, you're so weird. <laughs> That's your job as parents is to be weird because then your kids will pick it up. Takes time. Takes time. My daughter's saying, yep, it's true. Anyhow, that's the greenhouse. Let's talk about the gas station. God has given us something else to grow and be more fully alive. The gas station, it keeps us filled. Keeps us filled. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. At all times? And a brother is born for adversity. That's what we all need, someone, someone to walk through the valleys and peaks of life with. Life can be cruel, life can be competitive, life can crush you. And left alone, we are sitting ducks for Satan. He wants to destroy us. We need people in our lives. I'll say it again, we need people in our lives. I need you and you need me. The idea of the desperado, the macho man, out in the woods alone, out in the world alone, on his own, or the, you know, this, now there's this new this supreme feminist capable woman who has it all together. She can do it all. She's got beautiful Pinterest meals and kitchen cabinets made in deep mahogany and they can take care of themselves. All of this stuff is nonsense. We cannot do it alone. We're all broken. Quit trying. Like, it's easy. It's easy to get a tattoo. It's cost some money. Get a tattoo and rip some of your clothes and take a vintage-looking shot on a pho photograph and post it. You think, you, you think you're, you're not cool, okay? You're not tough. You're a human being. You're broken. Quit acting cool because you got a tattoo. It's stupid. Really, it is. I'll, let's just be honest. Anybody, I, I, I can draw a skull with magic marker and flat. Who cares? It's so weird how we think because I don't know. I don't, I'm not, yes, I am. I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm not saying tattoos are sinful. Here's what I'm saying your image doesn't come through a, a mark on your skin, it's who you are. It's who you are. 
And if we were to look deep into the human heart, there are four things that crush every person in here. It's crushing us. That's why we're becoming islands. Is betrayal. When you share your heart and people either mock you or don't listen, or they share information that you don't want shared, it's betrayal. So what we do is we close up. Or when you're used, when people are your friends to use you, or you have connections, you got money, you're the route to a good time. A lot of people feel used. Lied to when promises are broken, when truth turns out to be lies, or people just flatter you. They don't want to tell you the truth. So we always hide. We don't tell the truth. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing fine. How are you? I'm great. Fine. Fine. And then you fall apart five minutes later. And here's the tough one, accused, when we feel like we can never live up to other people's expectations, so we quit trying. You're a failure. We say this in so many different ways. So when a heart feels these four things, they, what they do is they separate, they turn inward, and they start solidifying like a rock, like an island. And you know who's smiling? Satan. He loves that. So how do we fight this petrification of the heart? We find companionship that fills it back up. And we only need to look for a few. Proverbs 18.24 says, don't look for a lot of friends. Look for a few good friends. I think when you look for a lot of friends, you're so much more prone to all those things happening to you. Look for a couple that will fill you up. Stick with them. So what kind of friend is this? First of all, you need someone who's safe. Proverbs 16.28 2019 says that a person who babbles and gossips destroys friendships. You need to find a person who will listen and not spread what you tell them. Do you want to be a good friend? Do you want to find a good friend? Stop sharing secrets so you can be the one in the know. You need to find somebody who sacrifices, who's sacrificial. Proverbs 20 verse 6 2710 talks about a person you can count on when you're in trouble. You can count on them. You need to find that person who will come over when you find you have mold in your basement. That person who will be on the phone at 2 in the morning to babysit your kids while you rush your husband to the hospital. That friend who will sit and listen when you want to just quit on life. You need someone who's for you with no strings attached. If you become that kind of friend, you will save someone's life. You need to find someone who's sincere. They'll tell you the truth. Proverbs 27.6 says, a friend tells you the truth even when it hurts. That may be the hardest thing to do is to find somebody that will do that because we all like to flatter each other. We're good at flattery, saying things so you won't get rid of me. Try to find someone who's both kind and truthful. And the, if you do, you'll love them. And if you're that kind of person, they'll love you for it. Here's a really cool one. This is the last one. This is the one that talks about, this is Proverbs 27.9. When you have feel accused, you feel like you don't, you don't measure up. There should be a friend out there that is sweet. And listen to how it's written, Proverbs 27.9. 
Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A sweet friend. What is a sweet friend? Here's a sweet friend. You need to find a person you can sit with for hours, and it feels like minutes. That person you can just be with, who has no expectations, does not demand you to be someone else. One of the biggest tragedies is when is that very few marriages boast this in the partners. If you're a husband or wife, stop demanding your spouse be someone that they're not. It's funny, when I was a youth pastor, I made up my mind to fight for a safe place for students to be allowed to be themselves. Because if you come to church, it should be the safe place where you can say what's on your mind without being attacked to share your heart and not be hurt. And I found, and people get mad at me for this, I found one of the biggest killers of freedom is sarcasm and mockery. There's an awful lot of Christians who are proud of their sarcasm. They'll say it like this. Our family, that's how we talk, man, is sarcasm. That's how we've been raised. The, the only problem, what you aren't necessarily seeing, is you think that's the way your family talks, but why don't your kids open up to the deep secrets of their hearts? Because dad uses it as a way to mock me. No one wants to open up a heart if you're just, it's, everything's a joke. And what will happen is if sarcasm really rules, they'll go somewhere else to find somebody that's want a friend like that. Be careful of sarcasm. What I used to do, and Derek, Derek had real problems with this, I would have a boot where I'd walk in Russia with, I'd take this boot, and it would be kind of a, I walked a whole year in this boot. It's kind of sweaty boot. And I would take it, and if a kid would be sarcastic, let's say a kid sharing and said, I did this, and a kid across the room goes, oh, you're an idiot. I'd say, all right, shoot the boot. I'd take the boot, fill it up with Coke, and a kid had to drink from the boot. Not too clean, but I got him to quit using sarcasm. It was a great, Luke, you loved it, didn't you? Anyhow, you didn't ever have to take it. Where's, where's Wendy? Wendy! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Wendy, you were the first, you were christened the boot. Thank you. Yeah. So, in conclusion, you may be here feeling alone. As I've been speaking, you feel, may feel cheated with the family you were raised in. Maybe you didn't have a good dad. Maybe your mom was mean. So, you wonder, what if I have no one? And I want you just to listen real quickly, write down these verses. If you have no one, God longs to be the father of the fatherless. God longs to be the father of the fatherless, Psalm 10. If you don't have a friend, Jesus came and said, I no longer call you servants or slaves, I call you friend. Jesus will listen to you, he will care for you, he will be there in your darkest hour. He will. Then I'd say this, and the Spirit of God longs to live in you and it's called baptize, unite you with people of the same Spirit. It's the family of God. When you feel lost and alone, get involved in God's church because you will find people. You will find people that are, that are filled with His Spirit and it's incredible. But it takes, takes risk to try 
takes risk to join a home fellowship group, takes risk to get baptized, takes risk to join. But if you do, I guarantee you, Jesus has actually made a guarantee. Those who have abandoned mother, father, sisters for my sake will find mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. And it's a true promise. That's a promise you can bank on. So the question is, what is keeping you? Well, yeah, I go back. I'm going to show the cool graphic. Go backwards so they can see how it's really cool. So if you have all these, then you get that. Isn't that cool? The red comes out. Took a long time to do that. You have to see that. Anyhow, let's go. So the question is, what is, what is keeping you from having friends? Why, why do you like to be a rock? Maybe, um, maybe you think you can make it on your own, but I'm telling you, check your heart if you think you're a good loner. Are you angry a lot? Or do you get jealous often? probably because you don't have somebody filling you up. We need to be filled up. Let's pray. 